you're in a forest and you collect a twig and no one sees you and no one ever looks at your twig, are you a collector? Yeah. Right. Because you've gone into a forest and collected a twig. Okay. Um, I feel like that one's an easy one. My work here is done. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech and stuff on the Half Caucasian Podcast. How did your um, delivery investment go? Fantastic. Yeah, good. Happy to hear that. Okay. Exactly what... I expected. So, I mean, it dropped by a third, and then I read somewhere else it had only dropped by a quarter. And now to people tell me that things didn't go that well on the second day. But to be honest, I've not really, really been following it at all. So how did it all go? It's interesting. It's really waking me up because I didn't do my research, is, is the truth. I think I'd gone into the investment in a similar mindset to how I was when I was in the kind of round one crowd cube thing with Monzo. You know, where it was kind of like, oh, it's early stage. You're just like a user that's interested. And so you kind of invest. I thought, well, we use Deliveroo a lot. Yeah, I should get involved early before it IPOs. Not looking into the ridiculous valuations and massive business risks. General uneasy sentiment, I think, that was within particularly the British stock market. I think if it had been on the sort of New York Stock Exchange, it may have fared differently. But I think at least within UK hedge funds and investors, there was a lot of red flags in the kind of last couple of days before. Yeah, so name some of those red flags. Firstly, the, the valuation that they'd given themselves, even though they were saying it was the lower end of the kind of 7 billion range, it was still just way too high for a company that just doesn't make any money, that doesn't make money during a pandemic where they're ideal conditions for their business model. Um, a full 1 billion higher than their previous raise, I think. So that was optimistic, to say the least. Some of the other things that have been raised are around upcoming challenges they're going to have around workers' rights and really just ethical decisions around their business model being viable long-term. Wasn't there something about the CEO and founder not relinquishing his voting rights in a two-tier share structure, which meant that this company wasn't eligible to be one of the FTSE 100 because the, the valuation... Where, where it ended up landing, it fell outside the FTSE 100, which meant that it, if the CEO had just given up a little, then everyone who was part of an ETF would have been forced to buy into Deliveroo and they'd have got a lot more traction in the IPO. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. The Amazon stake that yeah. people often reference in Deliveroo, I don't think that's as strong a position as, as you might think. Like Amazon have invested in a lot of things, which they've subsequently gone and destroyed like internally they've gone and replaced and undermined those product investments with their own amazon basics offers or you know just cannibalized their own investments i don't think them having a stake in delivery is necessarily as strong a backer as if it was someone other than amazon someone with a, a vested interest not to just destroy it and replace it with something different so yeah there's a number of things that i've gone and listened to since which annoyingly didn't come out until after the registration period, but I probably should have just done a bit more research. So very much my own fault. Definitely have, uh, yeah, I've taken some pause for thought on it because it's um, maybe one of those where I think I got into a mindset of, well, I know this brand, I use this product. They're offering it to their customers. 
oh, that seems like a good thing to get into without really looking behind the scenes, thinking, oh, what could go wrong? And actually, a lot of hedge funds and short sellers thought, oh, a lot could go wrong, actually. <laughs> let's uh, let's really dig in on day one. All right. So for devil's advocate purposes, I'll just say the other side of it, right, which is that their advisors who collected nearly 50 million in fees told them that you know, this would be a good time to IPO, which, by the way, is in the middle of several several holidays, several religious festivals, and you know advised them probably correctly to go at the bottom of their range. This happens a lot during IPOs. They were outsmarted by um, three large short seller banks that were outside of the syndicate, and there was this claim that the institutional book was four or five times covered by three kind of major entities, uh, but they, the three anchors never kind of surfaced. So that, you know, it, one way to look at it is it's just badly handled by the people doing the IPO who went and pocketed a nice sum of cash. Thank you very much. Um, and if you believe in it and you believe in the fundamentals, then you just need to hang it in there and it, it'll find its way back up to a reasonable price. After the Uber IPO, which you remember was an absolute disaster, we're now back in at 100, uh, like 2x the original price, right? So if you if you hung on through that, you, you would have seen some benefit. So there's me being devil's advocate, but I stick to what I said before, very competitive market. No, I think it's just whether there's a a better alternative to invest in. I mean, there are places that, um, that you can see bigger returns, um, but I think we might come to that later. <laughs> When it came to this time of needing a new phone, I said to myself, um, because of my, my firstborn arriving, I'm going to make sure I get a really big phone because I'm going to have my phone on me. Best phone, as they say, no, this isn't what they say. What they say is the best camera is the one you have on you. And I always have my phone on me. So I thought I'd get a really big phone with a big camera. I got the biggest one I could. And um, I think you have something you'd like to say about phones and the future of photography. Which phone have you got? I'm glad you asked me that. I've got the iPhone 12 Pro Max. And unlike you, you actually put a case on it. Yeah, I did for the first so time you, in my for life. For the first time, you've got a giant phone. You thought, I'll just make that giant phone a little bit bigger. So, uh, you know, the marginal millimetres on a phone this big is <laughs> less of a... Actually, the real reason was because... What happens now in my life is that sometimes a stray limb will come into my field of view unexpectedly and just smash my phone out of my hands remorselessly. When did you grow a stray limb? <laughs> Part of the family. I wanted to talk a bit about photography because you know that I'm big into... Yeah, you're mad into photos. Like where I can't see in the shot of this Zoom conversation is a... A shelf the middle of three shelves upon which sits as as far as i can remember something like four really expensive lenses of various kinds the kinds that mean you, you're a good photographer if you have that i think it's seen as being kind of old school now it's weird even though it's digital there was a time when if you were shooting in film that was the old school thing whereas now film is very kind of nostalgic and hipster like professional photographers have all gone digital right no it's curious because i've noticed this kind of, uh, this divide where I have a mirrorless SLR camera and I have a number of lenses and they take great photos and I kind of, I appreciate that. 
But every generation that phone that comes out with better sensors, better lenses in the phones, and just incredible computational photography, which is where they're doing a lot of the post-processing on the actual image signal processor of the phone, they can actually produce similar results. So the reason I wanted to talk about this, I'm considering getting an additional lens and I'm like, it's an unjustified addition to the collection, but it would take amazing photos. It'd be a 35 millimeter prime, wide aperture, very fast, fast lens, incredibly sharp. It could get natural proper bokeh where you've got, you know, not portrait mode, which still on most phones does this weird kind of cutout, you know, and then just blurs whatever's in the background. They're getting better, admittedly. But yeah, the more I think about it, I'm like, wow, phones are getting pretty good. I just don't know whether the future of photography is just going to be your phone, whether it already is, maybe. Mm. Have you ever owned a camera? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've really enjoyed having various different cameras. Never an SLR, but uh, yeah, pretty big. So the the Lumix, which is a really decent lens, mm-hmm. like a lens on it. Um, I'd say what I said at the beginning, which is maybe the best camera is the one that you have on you. So if you're the guy who's always got this camera bag and all the lenses and you're happy to to be be that person, then good. And your photos will be better. They'll just be better. Like they'll have a richness to them, which I've seen in your photos that you can't see in the present generation of smartphones. But software eats the world. Like you said, computational photography can do, it can outdo what you're doing with you know in in the dark room afterwards in the light room with the with the effects it can do all of that in in seconds with ai in less than less than seconds and it can take multiple high dynamic range uh, photos blend them together take out the noise it can even do that stuff that we only ever dreamt of in sci-fi where you say to the computer enhance and it somehow <laughs> somehow somehow makes the photo less noisy um in the in the in the dark parts um so there's there's some great stuff happening there uh, at the moment though the lens the most that they'll extend it out is what's that like barely a millimeter off the bottom of the glass of the of the case and how can that compare to what you've got going on with mirrors inside of your camera well that's what's interesting right because you've got like there's there's limits to optics like you know laws of physics limits in terms of you know ultimately you need light to make the photo and smartphone sensors are tiny the lenses are tiny they're doing a lot to reduce the noise that you'll naturally get from having such tiny optics and tiny sensors but um, and they limit they can't do things like have shallow depths of field um, not at a distance anyway, you'd have to be very close to the subject to achieve that. So the, the natural portrait shots you'd get where you have a very like razor thin focal length and that, that part of your, maybe your eyes in focus and everything else is starting to like blur away and then the background is just these complete um, natural blur. You can't achieve that on a smartphone through optics. You have to use post-processing and computation. But like you said last week, you know, it's magic. And what it does now is is it takes an image that probably has a very, very wide um, depth of field and it goes, oh no, I'm only interested in that subject. That's the important bit. Everything else can just blow away to a big mushy 
lovely background, which people seem to love. And if they get better at that, maybe that's what will make all of it obsolete. So interesting thing that I just feel obliged to say about the present crop of iPhone 12s is that they are remarkably egalitarian on the camera um, and on everything. But on the camera especially, it's exactly the same pretty much across the whole range. And with the with the Pro, you get, is it the wide that comes in? Which you think you're not going to use much, but then you, you might find yourself actually using. And then additionally, you get better sort of low light level performance in the, I want to say the 12 Pro. And then the 12 Pro Max, you additionally get image stabilization where they take the sensor and they mount it on a movable thing that floats about. And so the actual sensor is wobbling in real time to counteract your motion mm. of the phone. So that's the only difference. Apart from that, pretty much the entire camera set is you're getting a great product across the iPhone 12 for any price point, which is, I think, a really good move. With It's so levelling. I really like that Apple did that. Yeah, a lot of... Um, I think Samsung have tried to do the same with their latest S21 Ultra range, or S21 range. But I don't know, maybe the Ultra does have an additional like periscope zoom or something, a bit like the, the iPhone um, Pro Max. You mentioned before that Jen has a Pixel... She has the new Pixel, yeah. So What's the camera like? It's a Pixel camera. It takes fantastic point-and-shoot photos. Like, genuinely, if we're looking at a very, I want to say it's like simple image, you know, there's a foreground, you've got a normal background, you're looking at a normal focal length, good lighting. She can take a photo, and I can take a photo on my Sony A7 Mark III with a really good lens, similar focal length. Hers out of the phone will just be better from the start. I will have to go into Lightroom, you know, drop the highlights, push the shadows, try and mess around with it to, to achieve the same aesthetic quality because, and admittedly in the Pixel, you can't then go and mess with it as much to the same extent. You know, I have a lot more flexibility there, but to achieve the same results, sometimes it takes me, you know, minutes. And that's just, that's ignoring the time it takes to, you know, upload the photo to the laptop and all the other stuff. And so it's... It's incredible, actually, what you can do with these latest phones. And the, the miniaturization of the lens tech, like you were saying, like image stabilization, the fact that your phone now has essentially three sensors and three lenses of different focal lengths to give, give you that flexibility that I have on a whole shelf. And then I saw uh, Xiaomi in their new Mi Mix Fold. They've actually, um, it's a folding device, which is a whole different segment. Um, but their camera has what is known as a liquid lens. So actually, instead of having very tiny glass optics, which is good but inflexible, they have essentially a drop of oil where you apply a voltage. It's called electro-wetting, and it allows you to kind of change its shape to adjust that focal length. Like the cornea. Like the cornea. And in fact, weird enough, barcode scanners already use this technology so that you can essentially get almost like a macro focal so if you're very close to a subject, you'll be able to stay in focus, but also it can go back to normal distances. Huh. So now that they're adding that, I mean, at some level, you've got to wonder whether all of the post-processing and the computational photography gets to a point where, God, it really, all this investment in this camera gear will just be for that particularly special shots, like wedding photos or you know, professional magazine shoots or those type of things. And actually... I think it I think it still has a place. And I think it's... These photos that you take with your camera equipment have a certain feel to them. 
actually reminded now of what's the latest Pixar movie Soul. Um, mm. you, you know that the way that they do lighting effects effects during the jazz scene, where there's some noise added in, and I mean noise in the visual sense, added into the the background behind where the spotlight hits the subjects. There's some sort of fuzzy noise added into the stage set. Things like that, the grain of the photography, the, the grain of the art direction of the photos, that you can feel, and I sound like one of those vinyl freaks, but you, you, can, you can really feel, I think, in, in photos taken with good photography equipment, that it's a different craft. It, it, I think that, that lasts. And real-time follow-up, just on correcting myself on what I said, the, obviously the difference between the 12 and the 12 Pro is that the 12 Pro has the telephoto as the third lens additionally to ultra-wide and wide, which uh, means it can get the 4x optical zoom, not just 2x. Also, the, with the Pro is against the 12, it's using that LiDAR scanner, and that's what gives it, as I said, the low-level light mode. And then when you get the Pro Max, you've got the optical image stabilization from the movable sensor. So what what it's doing with LiDAR is it's firing that grid of dots out. And it, it means that it can much faster, incredibly fast, latch onto and focus on a subject in low light. And it means you can capture shots that normally you'd have missed. Now, I've been doing this on previous phones, literally missing photos because it's taking too long to focus. And it actually doesn't, it resists pressing the shutter until it can actually get a lock on. So then you miss the photo. That's the time of flight sensors, right? Is that the same thing where it's, it has like a T and a star and it, it does that? I guess so. Um, it's the same thing on, it's basically like, it's like face ID unlocking, but facing the world. It's the same thing that's used for like uh, AR functionality. It's like capturing the, it's the same thing that captured the kitchen in the last episode. Ah, I see, I see. It's a, it's a mesh of dots that travels out, comes back like LiDAR, just like your, um, just like your autonomous vehicle. Like yeah, it is. So it, it uses LiDAR, but it's the time of flight is the, I guess, the mechanism or the use case of the LiDAR sensor. So to measure the time it takes to hit each object and therefore work out the distance and the, where to focus. Um, I haven't haven't been completely on top of everything this, this week. Has there been another crash on SpaceX? In Elon Musk's words, the, at least the crater was in the right place. It didn't have as close to a successful landing as last time. So I think it, what's it called? The Starship? 12. Yeah, it, it basically, engine two malfunctioned when it was actually on its way up and, and it meant that when it came down, it uh, it crashed. No big deal, because what I've discovered about SpaceX is when they report on it, they're like, oh, it's a shame they lost another, another rocket. That's annoying. At the bottom of the article, it'll say, fortunately, as part of its iterative development program, SpaceX is building a Starship vehicle at a rate of every two to three weeks. And you're like, oh, wow. They've actually got agile sprints down for, for, a, for a spaceship. That's, That's actually insane when you really think about what that means. Because that means the next version isn't like the Model T Ford. It's the same thing. It's It's the slightly better version that hopefully won't crash next time. That they're churning out every two to three weeks you know doing that with software is one thing doing that with rockets spaceships it actually it blew my mind i need to actually research a bit more to work out exactly how they achieve that level of um it is incredible in agile you're supposed to do look backs aren't you retrospectives yeah yeah What's, what do you think the retrospective would have been like <laughs> this one improvements don't crash <laughs> Um, what went well? Crater was in the right place. Elon will shout from the back. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I have no idea what culturally it's like. Anyway, I was wondering whether you'd seen any good April Fools. Not not the one which we'll talk about in this week in crypto, but but any others that have. Can I just tell you about the most embarrassing thing? That's absolutely cringe, cringe, cringe. Like the worst thing that could ever happen. Go on. All right. Well, a group of mostly Germans from Volkswagen decided they were going to make a joke on April Fools, and they were going to make a joke that they were changing the name of Volkswagen to Volkswagen. Because like volts, like electric vehicles, because like they're really into electric vehicles, right? So they were going to change the K into a T and it was going to be called Volkswagen and everyone was going to find that hilarious. But then, oops, accidentally, they pressed the go button on it two days early. So it wasn't April the 1st anymore. It was like a different date. And so then they announced it and everyone's like, wait, what? And then the tweet was up for like a while and then they took it down and then people were like, I don't understand. Are they changing it? I, is, it's not that funny if it's a joke and if they're serious, they, they said it in a way that it feels like it might be real. And now I don't know anymore. And then it, it turns out it was an April Fool's. How embarrassing. I didn't realise it was actually an April Fool's. It was what, March 31st? Maybe even 30th? No, I think it was sooner than that, wasn't it? It was earlier than that. No, I remember seeing it and I remember everyone asking the questions, is this is this a joke? Or have they really committed to just spontaneously rebranding? So you remember it was specifically for the US entity and it was going to take effect in May. And people noticed that the UK Volkswagen Twitter had taken control of Volkswagen and... They were looking for various filings to see, you know, to see whether this this was real or not. I mean, that's really funny. Yeah. So on Monday, they insisted that the press release was legitimate and that the name change was accurate. But I don't understand why. Why would you do that? So uh, a relatively new company can do some stuff. Uh, I think Google's done some great April Fools in the past. I think Tesla have done some really funny ones in their early days. Tesla had one must have been 2016 or something, where they said that their new software update would move your car if there was a traffic warden about to give you a ticket. It would just it would just drive just around the corner and, and then come back later. And they did that as April Fool's, but that was before they were in the S&P 500. So, you know, early days. <laughs> did you see um, Duolingo? So Duolingo did a really funny one, which I don't know if it's an April Fool's or just great product advertising so you know duolingo is the app where you can learn a second language or you know a new language and apparently it's had a lot of uptake during pandemic lockdown as people have found themselves bored at home with not much to do they said on april fools that they've launched a whole range of toilet rolls where every sheet is um you get rolls for like different languages and every sheet has like some keywords um that you can like flashcards that you can learn um and they've said they said it jokingly but then they've got a limited supply run that you can actually order of you know uh english speakers learning japanese or um german speakers learning english or whatever it is and then, yeah like they've got a limited run of um of toilet roll yeah get it before the next lockdown because you know toilet rolls yeah this is like the nft of toilet rolls really <laughs> the ultimate scarcity one <laughs> What's happening in uh, what's happening in gardening? 
I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear things are going in your urban gardening. It's been interesting. So I've, I've had some success, I think is what I'd say. I wasn't sure if this year would be a repeat of last year, but I now have, I mean, you can't see it from what you're saying, but on the windowsill are some butternut squash seedlings that are doing really well. I've got this grow light here is growing some tomato seedlings next to me, which is really good. We have some sugar snap peas on the go, some habanero chilies seedlings that are just germinating. Yeah, so, so far, so good. But I've discovered, you know, my big fear with all of this was the dreaded fungus gnats, those little annoying flies that one of them comes in, lays 300 eggs, and then a week later, you're basically just in the worst horror movie ever. I've discovered some just really cool gardening hack, which is to use hydrogen peroxide as a like a diluted hydrogen peroxide mixture to water your plants, especially seedlings and like a you know germinating plants. Because what that does is, for a start, it sterilizes a lot of the soil, kills the fungus gnat larvae if there is anything in it, kills any you know bacteria or fungus or anything that really isn't great for the plants, especially when they're young. But secondly, because hydrogen peroxide is essentially H2O2, just has an extra oxygen molecule um, attached to water, the way it destroys all of those microbes and the dreaded fungus gnat larvae is it oxidizes and reacts with their um, cell walls, basically, and kills them. But what that does for plant roots is that extra oxygen is what helps them access more nutrients in the soil. So it's really good for root development for plants. So something that I thought was just for, you know, wounds or sterilizing, you know, food containers and stuff, if you dilute it and water your plants with it, it's actually amazing. Incredible. It's actually, it's the only reason I can get through this because when there are fungus gnats around and you water it, you hear the the kind of like um, the fizzing of it, you know, whenever it comes into contact with things that it um, oxidizes it or fizz and that aerates the soil it's good for the plant roots but it's sterilizing all the soil which when they're in this form and they're not you know i'm not killing worms or killing healthy things this is just i just want this to be compost with a germinating tomato plant hmm. no flies hence not waving my arms like a crazy person very happy for you hmm, thank you and this this week certainly um the warm weather has helped to germinate some of the um, some of the seeds we've got planted out here. I can't give you any more details than that. Fantastic. Have we reached the point of our not a sponsor segment? It is indeed time for uh, to go over to our non-sponsor of the week. So this week, not sponsoring our podcast is Eufy. I think that's how you say it. It's E U F Y. And they make uh, home security systems like cameras, such as indeed the Eufy Cam 2C. So the Eufy Cam 2C is the one I'm going to be talking about today. And it's a camera that I've uh, installed uh, on my home. And it's like um, one of those security cam things that can, you know, you put it up over the front and the back and then it you know, lets you know if, if there's someone there and it records short bits of film and so on. But rather than kind of tell you about it, and, and by the way, there's like something like a £40 off offer on this, I assume that's only in the UK. But if you want one of these and you click on the link in the show notes, you can get £40 off. But rather than just tell you about it, 
what's going to happen now is Jonathan's going to ask me a series of questions, the, the kind of questions that you'd ask if you were interested in getting a home security system. And if you'd endlessly and painstakingly researched about it for hours online, clicking through endless Amazon pages until you found just the right product. And I'm going to let him ans- ask the questions and I answer them based on my experience of having lived with this uh, system now for about a year. So how many cameras do you have? Two. The system comes with two little cameras that you mount and uh, it also comes with a thing which looks, I don't know, maybe it looks like a router. It looks like a square box and you, you put it in the house and you connect it to the Wi-Fi. And what that does is it stores all of the data. And what's good about that is that it's not sending all the data back to China. It's just storing it locally on a hard drive in your living room. And that means that all the clips, they're in there and this is the best part of all you're not paying a recurring monthly fee once you bought the thing and it's about 200 and something pounds once you've bought the thing that's it after that just feed it electricity every now and again so recharge the camera units by unscrewing them bringing them in charging them up and taking them out and that's just on a usb thing but that's all so no recurring fees no money going to cloud storage because there's three elements, the two little modular cameras that stick to your wall. By the way, I did say you're charging it up with a USB. That's because you didn't drill a hole through the wall. You didn't have to install external cabling to this thing. You just, it's battery uh, powered. And the thing is that that battery is going to last a good, I'm going to say about three months between charges. And you're just charging it by plugging it into a little cable off of a USB when you bring it indoors every now and again. Back to you, Jonathan. No no monthly fee? No monthly fee. Terrible business model. Does it matter if your network goes down for a bit? So as far as I know, it's the UFI cameras that are connected with that router thing that I described. So I think it can probably continue to operate. But what probably won't work is the instant app notification alerts that then tell your phone app that there's been something, some movement's been detected, that then when you tap on it, immediately clicks you through to a a short clip of what's happening in near live time, which then if you go to the app, and this is incredible, by the way. So when you you get notified and then you click on the live live feed, then if you press the microphone button, it's a walkie-talkie and you can talk live to whoever's delivering a parcel and ask them just to leave it there whilst you come from the back of the garden. What happens if they reach up and steal the camera? So the camera is mounted on the wall in a way that's relatively easy to unscrew and detach. If they knew what they were doing, they could come over and unscrew it and then walk off with it. And they would have one of your cameras and you would have the footage of them taking it. Now, I don't understand the latest trends in crime, but camera removal, I don't think is as big some of the other crimes that are out there agreed i was just curious does it detect objects or zones or people yes 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 it detects zones so you can set a zone for it to detect certain things it's sort of smart open speech marks ai close speech marks capability can detect when there's a person in that zone and it doesn't detect objects per se it's uh, responding to movement and people shaped movement right so as long as you're here live and you're not a cat, you're okay? Correct. Okay. That sounds really good. Yeah, so that's the Eufy Cam 2C 
and the link is available in the show notes with £40 off. I think if you just buy it directly from Amazon, it might actually just be the same price. So you'll obviously do that. Check on both. If you end up for some reason clicking on the link in the show notes to buying it off Eufy Direct, and this is the Eufy Cam 2C that I'm recommending. If you somehow do that on the 22nd of the month, as in it takes you like 20 days to make the purchase decision, then for some reason I get loads of rewards, loads of Amazon gift vouchers. But I don't expect anyone to either A, do this at all, or B, do it on the 22nd. So it's just really a fun, fun sideline. <laughs> and that's our non-sponsor of the week. So I think it's time for This Week in Crypto. This Week in Crypto. And... In keeping with the April Fool's theme, um, have you been following anything that Elon Musk has been saying recently? Yeah, this one didn't enrage me. This was actually (laughs) brilliant. So he says that he's going to take a literal Dogecoin (laughs) literally to the literal moon. SpaceX is going to put a literal Dogecoin on the literal moon. And the word literal there just to kind of help me understand the work that it's doing in that sentence is it's differentiating from the expression dogecoin to the moon yeah he's taken the metaphor and made it very real when people say that what they mean is it will just go really high in value yeah but what he's going to do is actually take a literal a literal literal dogecoin to the literal moon so so i don't know if you've met any dogecoin fans but most of them don't own their own space exploration company um what elon has done here he's flexing you see (laughs) by by being able to tweet that to say my company is going to put a literal dogecoin whatever that means on the literal moon i I imagine it means like i have a literal bitcoin which is a no it's like it's like it's shaped like the bitcoin logo and it's made of metal and it looks like a little coin and it's worth got one of nothing those as well yeah i know but worth nothing right but it's like that's a literal bitcoin it's we got ours at the same time i suspect um i mean it's valueless how would he do this so he would print off he would mint a, do- a thing with the, the shiba you know on it and it would he'd yeah. say it's a dogecoin he I... might even write on it the private key to a wallet that contained one doge and then you put it on like a tesla roadster and you strap that onto like the cyber truck and then you put that on a giant rocket and then you send it to the moon that's how well i did should really crash the whole thing <laughs> the moon. you'd crash it into a crater on earth <laughs> which is actually a more realistic metaphor for what doge price is actually doing after this tweet happened 11 hours ago Oh, really? So, because it did go up, didn't it? Well, yeah, but then given no one spotted any SpaceX rockets going to the moon, I think it went down again. Anyway, he continues to be entertaining. And I love that um, he said if any scandals come out about him, he wants it to be called Elongate, which I think is... I mean, it's just... He's been really... He's been on excellent form recently. Yes. I did enjoy... I, re- I did really enjoy dogecoin to the literal moon that's really good that's really good do you want to say something about nfts because i've got a feeling you do this nft thing has gone mad like it's everywhere here's what's really weird about nfts they're everywhere and this kind of annoying media talks about it as a big explainer which is just insufferable after you've just read one of them but we often talk about nba 
top shots because it's something that I've tried out and I actually thought was really cool and I liked it. And it seems to be the mainstream way of people who aren't really crypto nuts or bothered by this, just getting into digital collectibles and not really realizing it's NFT powered or anything. And um, Michael Jordan, who you will know as a famous basketball player, hopefully looking for the nod. Yes. And people like Kevin Durant, a lot of like superstar, all-star, Hall of Fame basketball players have gotten as investors of Dapper Labs as part of their recent fundraiser, which Dapper Labs is the one that we talk about, which runs the Flow blockchain, which is the main blockchain for all NFTs that are used by NBA Top Shots and also the upcoming UFC ones and baseball ones. They're all being run on that blockchain. So it seems like it's going to be the one for sports. That seems to be what is happening there. And I quite like that because it's it's in, it's interesting as a use case because I don't think the 300,000 people who are, you know, queuing up trying to get these um, NBA top shots every day, I don't think they're crypto nuts. I think they're the sports fans. And actually, a platform that keeps making digital sports collectibles is yeah, quite quite an interesting thing. Yeah, we've got some true fact about human nature here, about human beings being animals that like to collect things. Running up against, uh, there's got to be a natural threshold of where we run up against the, the end of the appetite of people to collect NFTs specifically. The amount of NFTs I'm seeing flooding the market, whether it's Aston Martin NFTs or, as you say, UFC NFTs, there's NFTs, there's got to be a, we've got to be near the, the limits of of this in terms of saturation point so it's interesting right because like people still collect pokemon cards and people still collect physical baseball cards and people still collect postage stamps some people will pay some friends of mine will just pay crazy amounts for rare limited edition trainers i I don't think nfts is a it's a really fun phenomenon because it's super nerdy and all about crypto and everything but People collecting rare, strange items that, you know, a fan base might like isn't something new. I think it's, I don't think it stops just because crypto becomes boring. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when you collect something, it makes sense within a discourse, within a system of exchange, within a wider conversation. If you're in a forest and you collect a beetle and nobody sees you, are you still a collector? I've not heard that one before. (laughs) Actually... I think I'll redo it. If you're in a forest and you collect a twig and no one sees you and no one ever looks at your twig, are you a collector? Yeah. Right. Because you've gone into a forest and collected a twig. Okay. Um, I feel like that one's an easy one. My work here is done. I want to I want to talk about the two big things that I think happened this week, one of which was... Um, visa and the other which was paypal i think the visa one's probably a bit more important um okay so here's my summary of the two bits of information so visa announced that you can transact with usdc over the visa network how does that exactly work okay so (laughs) they've partnered with anchorage which is the first federally federally authorized crypto bank apparently anchorage has some apis and so say you are a customer of crypto.com's visa card yes so you're a customer customer a goes to merchant b you have 
the Visa card of Crypto.com, which happens to be a debit card, okay, and you make a payment. Now, Merchant B has received your money. Okay. Okay. Now, Crypto.com and Visa have a problem, right? So Visa's problem is that some money has left Visa and it's gone to the merchant, right? Uh, crypto has has a problem, which is Crypto.com have to get their money over to Visa in a, an act called settlement. And what Visa have enabled this week, first of all with Crypto.com, but soon with many others, is they've enabled via Anchorage, which is kind of integrated into their treasury, they've enabled for the settlement to happen directly without converting anything from crypto into fiat. So USDC will travel over Ethereum between Crypto.com and Anchorage. It'll end up in an Anchorage account that's marked, this is the Visa account. And Visa will get a notification or something that says, oh yeah, they settled with us. But because of high Ether gas prices, I think they're all going to batch it all up into massive settlement sort of lump sums and, and do sort of bundles all together. But overall, what it means is that instead of having to have paid to do lots of archaic banking machinery, heavy lifting with large transaction fees, the settlement will have happened over Ethereum using USDC and Visa will have sent their dollars to the merchant safe in the knowledge that the USDC had reached their Anchorage settlement account. I was surprised that that was the explanation. But yes, I, have, I, I appear to have explained it. I thought it was going to be easier to explain than that. I think I get it. And I think... But why is that a big deal? And the, the PayPal one isn't. So the bit PayPal have said, meanwhile, the same week, PayPal announced the following. You can now pay f uh, one of 29 million merchants over the coming months with... Bitcoin, with Bitcoin Cash, with Litecoin, and with Ethereum. So with those four. And if you choose to pay using PayPal crypto version of it, using one of those four cryptos, then we'll instantly convert it into fiat currency. And the merchant won't have to deal with any of the volatility of owning crypto, and they'll get the money. And the reason why those two news stories are both profound and represent, for me, a watershed moment in the mainstreaming of crypto is that those are big deals. That's a big deal. Like, on the one hand, you have Visa. On the other hand, you had PayPal. And in the case of PayPal, you had 29 million merchants. But the, the Visa one is interesting because, and I, I think more profound, because it involves USDC, the stablecoin, and a transaction being completely transacted on the crypto side without a conversion to fiat. And to me... Those were, that was a big deal this week. Really How profound. long do you think they're waiting for before they confirm that transaction? So you think about Visa at the moment, you pay, beep, done. They handle the risk because, I mean, it's really nothing's moving. It's just all on their end. If it's with Ethereum, you're probably waiting for like, I don't know, 10 new blocks to be mined, which you're waiting probably, I don't know, 90 seconds or so, right? before you're deeming that final. So am I going to like tap and wait for a minute and a half staring into the eyes of the kind person at the checkout or in many cases a robot? So re remember that this is just the Bitcoin that you're holding within PayPal. Oh, I meant for the Visa bit, right? Okay. The Visa bit so is running on Ethereum. They will have to wait for that transaction to not just be broadcast to the network, but actually be confirmed. Yeah, so I think in that instance, 
you had some USDC in your Visa debit card on crypto.com. Yeah. And when you transacted, it was like an auth, an authorization hold was placed around that probably is how that's the way I'm thinking about it. So that you couldn't then suddenly squirrel it off into a different MetaMask wallet. So then that USDC has is ring fenced and in due course it gets taken off because it's already spoken for. It gets taken off to Anchorage. Right. That's how I'm thinking about that. And 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 the reason why this is needed is because the visa models assuming merchants won't bother with any form of digital wallet. They just want give me the dollars, the actual US dollars, which is what Visa will give them. And Visa will just I guess just build up a giant account with anchorage of USDC. That's the reason this is needed. If if the merchant was like, oh no, actually you can just pay using your USDC and we'll accept USDC, the visa part becomes null and void and their entire business model collapses. Well, I guess the other thing that Visa is providing here, you know, speaking to the, the point about the number of block confirmations is as a trusted counterparty or intermediary, they're able to take all of the delays out. But essentially you're, you're seeing that already happen on things like Polygon, on like layer two solutions within Ethereum that USDC is now starting to run on, which essentially do that, but take the risk and put it on a, a side chain, essentially, you know, which has slightly higher risk than on you know if you're not waiting for the full settlement on the the main chain the layer one solution i don't know i feel like you know what i feel like this is i feel like this is visa paypal we saw it with news with mastercard as well that they're doing similar things it's them getting ready for central bank digital currencies and they're using this as the the kind of hey we can do this stuff too here's the really cool use case so that when you know, the Fed and the Bank of England and the European Central Bank say we're switching on digital GBP and digital euros and a digital federal issued US dollar, that they can be the rails for it, right? I think that's what they're doing. There's no real benefit to doing this for any normal person. Not really. It's it's a technical proof of concept that you can announce to the world. It becomes... Yeah big when CBDCs become a thing. And in fact, in their press release, they did actually mention that um, they explicitly said we'll position us really well to handle central bank digital currencies. No, oh, there you go. Yeah, CBDCs is definitely something we should cover in a, a future week though, because it's such a, I think it's quite a big topic and I'm still getting my head around it. Central bank digital cu- currencies? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I had another thing that I wanted to raise, which mm. is, about Bitcoin and its British origins. Shaking my head. Carry on. The Bitcoin Genesis block has that famous line in the actual block code that's, that's put in by the first person who mined it that says, that references the uh, London Times cover story, which is the Chancellor on the brink of a second bailout for the banks. It's talking about the UK banks and the bailout in 2009. But what would you say about um, post-Brexit, the UK should be making the most of Bitcoin? I think there's this view that it seems right now a lot of countries are toying with this idea of can I ban Bitcoin and crypto or in reality am I only banning my citizens from having exposure and access to all the benefits that this new asset class brings 
India is kind of struggling with it and they're looking to ban it. Nigeria also struggling with it, looking to ban it. The US, eh, not sure, but you know, stable coins are worrying because they impact the US dollar. Everyone's kind of got this weird view. And China's like, well, we don't like it because we've got our own digital currency, but by all means, keep mining Bitcoin. I feel like the UK is in a very privileged position with its own sovereign currency, its own newfound autonomy in this weird post-Brexit world to kind of say, you know what, we're we're going to treat this like a new asset class, treat it like a revolutionary disruptive technology, perfectly positioned to just go all in in terms of the, the favourable policies towards cryptocurrencies, the technology, the investment, the financial infrastructure, the entrepreneurship and all of that stuff. So mm. I just assumed that would be on the cards, but it didn't seem to be. There's a bigger fish right now, which is fair enough. For, for reasons I don't completely understand, the UK is at the forefront of fintech innovation and, and has been for, I guess, 10 years. Um, it's where all the fintech innovation has happened. And nowhere else in the world is there as innovative a financial system, as innovative a regulatory framework around the financial system. We've created an ecosystem where financial innovation can happen. I think it's happening uh, sometimes in spite of in spite of government policy. And, you know, we've got a strong financial sector that contributes a massive amount into tax tax coffers and represents a huge chunk of GDP. And um, and also because we're such a small nation, we can update, for example, point of sale systems much faster than, you know, looking at the US, the the rollout of chip and pin was oh my God, kind of 15 years. It took it a long took time um, because of but you have to understand the scale of the market you're dealing with. Here on this tiny island uh, collection of aisles, you can do, you can move faster, a lot faster when it comes to stuff like payments. So uh, I don't know. Uh, does it need um, full-voiced government approval and backing? Uh, I don't think you're going to see that kind of boldness from any of the people that I've seen uh, entering that space of politics. Okay. Good. Jonathan, where, where does that leave us? I think that leaves us to our favourite segment, which is, of course, shitcoin or fake coin. It's not my favourite segment. I like, I like it when we talk about gardening. <laughs> oh, we've done both. I'll go first this time. Okay. So my first one is the non-fun token. So the code for that is NFT. And I see you in despair. It's um, it's quite new though. It's a new platform, but it's fun because it's like it's only aimed at boring NFTs. So these are things like like peer-reviewed scientific papers, photos of walls, really old bank ledgers that have been like digitized and then stored there, or like um, medical prescriptions that are no longer valid. So so you, it's a platform for all of those boring NFTs called non-fun token. It's currently ranked um, 4,498 on coin market cap and valued <laughs> valued at $12 million. So that's my first one. My second one is called Video Games Token. That's VGTN. And that's uh, a platform for gaming tokens. So it's still NFT oriented because it's all about like the, you know, tokens in games and being able to buy digital collectibles and stuff. 
it has not been as successful as some of the others that you may have heard of, like Engine and everything else that are doing it properly. Um, so currently, it's still got an active website. It's not really listed, but it's it's kind of like doing its thing in the background in that video games token space. Wow, it's a real real tough one. I'm going to say that the I'm going to say the fake coin is the non fun token, and that the shit coin is the um, obscure video games token. Wow. No, well, you're right. You're right. Much to my dismay. I don't know how I did it. I don't um, know. Too much detail? Too much detail. <laughs> so, um, are you ready? I'm ready. Right. Okay, so the first one is called Lead Wallet. Lead Wallet, L-E-A-D. Right. And uh, it's a simple DeFi wallet. Okay, so what does that mean? Uh, for for decentralized finance, for 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 DeFi, it's like a wallet for DeFi, and it's a simple version, you know, because like sometimes they're really too complicated, yeah. and it's like, oh, this is too complicated. But then this one is like simple, simple. One, so it's easier. They say that like they say that simple as lead. I think is the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, like if you like, if you like lead, you'd love this wallet. Because it's, uh, I guess it's meant to evoke, you know how you can get those inserts for your wallet that stop signals getting in? Oh, like, yeah. Um, With like a little bit of silver foil. Like an like FC. Yeah, like a tinfoil yeah. hat. Tinfoil hat. for your wallet. So they've gone instead with like the lead, lead paint lined wallet, Like a lead-lined wallet. Well, yes, but less toxic. And it's it's a yeah. wallet. It's it's called a lead wallet. Uh, so that's, that's one of them. Okay. And then the other one. Uh, it's called, it's called Zero Wallet. <laughs> Z-E-R-O. Okay. Now, this one, okay. Yeah, yeah. This one is a Chrome extension. And, and by the way, it's listed in, in CoinMarketCap, but just like your platform was for some reason ex listed, this is listed as a coin, even though it's Zero Wallet, Z-E-R-O, because I think this is the coin of the wallet. So the way this works is it's a Chrome extension and it creates an anonymous wallet every time you make a transaction. So it's a truly, this is brilliant, right? So it's it's a truly anonymous, allows you truly anonymous transactions by creating an anonymous wallet with every transaction at the point of transacting. And um, it has a coin associated with the wallet. And so it's called Zero Wallet and it's Z-E-R-O. Is it running on like another blockchain, like Ethereum, or was it its own? Um, I think it's an I think it's an ERC twenty wallet, and I think it's a web wallet. And I think that the way that it works is like MetaMask. It is a Chrome extension where um, every time you try to transact, it generates an anonymous wallet address for the purposes of that transaction. And then I think that the token that's called ZERO is presumably something like the project's token or some some other some other kind of associated value to do with zero wallet. Wow, no, that's I mean it's impressive. It's totally fake though. Um, so that's the fake coin, and the other one, the lead wallet or lead something, is the shit coin. So 
So you're correct. Yeah. So the lead wallet is the is the shitcoin. Um, it's it is a simple DeFi wallet. It exists and you can use it. It's great. And uh, zero wallet doesn't exist. But but sounds like it should. What does exist is blank wallet. B L A N K, which is exactly the Chrome extension I described. Oh, oh cheeky! You just stole a different shitcoin, and then so ah. Oh. Well, it. It, well, no, because I got it right. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, you, you got my one. I quite like the idea of non-fun token. <laughs> I think it could be um, just for the same reason we were talking about boring collectibles earlier. I think there's got to be some people who just want to collect, you know, just really mundane stuff, but in a digital form. Making the good use of the things that we find. <laughs> anyway. On that note, I think we should uh, we should call it ready for a long weekend. So have an excellent Easter break. You too. Okay. You too. Great okay. podcast. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, "Hey, I like talking to you." And so from the